DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined by David Locke. His weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. And David joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why the Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. David, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. There's a lot going on all at once, and something is sneaking up on us, and it's one of your favorite things. But the playoffs are later than normal, and we got the Olympics in an odd-numbered year, which is unusual. And so the fact that we are now less than two weeks to the NBA draft, and there has been so little discussion of it locally or nationally, and now the Jazz are are bringing people in in a combination of COVID times and, and maybe just the organization's attitude this year, hey— no word. It's all quiet. It's on the down low. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Yeah, those, those media sessions that we get to talk to the players don't seem to exist this year, do they? No, no they don't. They're not. So uh, I have a question for PK or what? you. I was running numbers on draft prospects today. Josh Christopher? And I did not get to Josh Christopher. Uh, um, Chris, how do you pronounce it? Out of Oregon. Durat? Oh, Duarte? Yeah, the Dominican kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I like him. 24 years old, though, so that's like he's 24 playing 21-year-olds. Like, that's a huge red flag of, like, a really good way to make a draft mistake. But if you're drafting him, I don't know how early he's going to go, but his numbers are, like, maybe as good as anyone in the draft. Like, I mean, he's in the 94th percentile in spot-up shooting. He's in the 96th percentile in catch-and-shoot. He's in the 98th percent. He's in the 94th percentile in off-the-bounce dribbling, which shows creating. Um, he's not great with playmaking. His athleticism numbers, which I think are um, isolation and transition, are both terrific. Again, he's 24, playing 20-year-olds and 19-year-olds. So you have to be really careful here. So tell me about him, because I obviously I've not seen him play, but six six one ninety and kind of that set of skills seems interesting. Yeah, he was a guy. I think he got better and became way better than I thought he was going to be early on, and. I like his ability. I didn't realize he was 24, though. Uh, I mean, I know that he was older, but that is a big difference, you know, when you're going six years. But at the same time, when you look where the Jazz are drafting, how much will that factor in? Because it's not like it's a stab in the dark, because I think that the drafts, I think there's more better players to have an awkward phrase. So I think you're seeing deeper into the draft. You can get guys... How much do you think that they would be concerned about that age, given where they're drafting, opposed to if they're drafting fifth or whatever? I mean, I think, right, you're looking, you know, Desmond Bain was old last year, and yeah, that yeah. was a good pick. Exactly, there, right? yeah, so, yeah, precisely. Later in the draft, those, it's it's when you do the Wesley Johnson, Epe Udo, you know, frankly, Jimmer Fredette, um, older picks early in the top ten that really there's a terrible track record on it um, that you have to be really careful with. Um, and that I, uh, locked on is doing a, it's called the ultimate mock draft. And we do it in collaboration with Odyssey, the, the media company. And, um, it, it, as, a, as a massive five day podcast, the kind of series podcast that goes out. And I, as the 30th pick of the draft representing the jazz had, uh, two trade offers on the board. One was the, I think 40, fifth and 46th pick from Toronto and the other was the 44th and 49th and 58th from Brooklyn. Would you would you guys have taken either of those two deals? Uh, 
Ooh. My instinct is to say no. No. <laughs> that was mine too. Yeah. So I took the Brooklyn deal. Say it to um, us. Give I, us the Brooklyn deal one more time. It was kind of like 46 and 47. Or no, theirs was 43 and like 49 and 58 or 50, you know, something like that. So it's three seconds. One of them a little earlier. It also depends, too, how much the, uh, the organization and the folks in charge have zeroed in on player or players. And do they see something? Because obviously you look at and they saw something, and you were the first guy to tell me about it, uh, what they saw in this gangly dude from France. And, right. and, I mean, they hit a home run there, clearly. You know, the Mitchell thing, he was much higher in the draft. So you can that that type of thing happens I, I more guess, often. Yeah, I guess our responses are what they are. But until you know the conviction that the the scouts and the, and the front office have in a player, and not just their conviction and the player's ability to be good, but what they believe of how other people around the league are assessing that player, that's when you really our our answer is just kind of doubt in thin air for what it's worth. Um, so my, so like, so my, with, just to say to go to Gobert, like if you are really have a lot of conviction that you got to go get him, if you know someone wants him at thirty, you've got to make the deal that gets you in at twenty seven. If you know somebody wants him at twenty four, you got to make the deal that gets you to twenty two. So ours right. is what you asked us is kind of in the abstract without having the conviction in a specific prospect or prospects. And I looked at it as we're a luxury tax team the chances of the 30th pick of the draft helping us in the second round of the playoffs is limited. Mm. You're giving, I don't, I'd rather use that. The 30th pick has got a guaranteed contract. I'd rather use that same money on a veteran minimum. And you're giving me three assets, probably one of which I select two of which I move to become future second one or two of which I move to become future second round picks. And, you know, Matt Thomas didn't work out that second round pick often is, you know, a trade deadline way to add a piece to the puzzle or something of that sort. Um, so that was a little bit of, that's a little bit of the way I viewed that. Okay. And just, you know, this is what I do obviously to take the opposite side. If, because you are a pretty doggone good team, you may not need a whole lot. So uh, just to use a Bane as an example, you know, he can hit a few shots for you in that second round. So do you roll the dice on that? You're not asking for a lot, but the kid's got a skill that you can use. So on Desmond Dane, let's use that as an example. I know it's touchy because we passed on him and he had a good year, but I'm not actually convinced. Like, I think he's good. I like him a lot. I think he'll be a good NBA player. I'm not convinced he actually helps us in the playoffs luster. And frankly, as that series went on, he did less and less for Memphis. Um, now, on the other end, Terrence Mann, right, out of nowhere, just destroyed us. Yeah. So, and that's a second-round pick. Um, so, so, but I, I I didn't get a vibe that I thought Terrence Mann was going to, or that Desmond Bain was ready to have, um, you know, was ready to have that kind of um, impact in the playoffs. So, um, you know, and maybe that's not fair. I mean, I just... I was I was less sold on him by the time I watched that playoff as a guy who I thought was going to go you know make a massive impact in a playoff series and you know he's good but that's hard to do as a young player. 
Well, I guess as long as I'm talking about you know how the the level of conviction that the the, the coaches and the management have in uh, in current players should be thrown into whatever prospective draft pick. You know, I think it was you either a week or two ago, maybe it was somebody else, but I'm pretty sure it was you who was talking about offseason moves for the Jazz, and instead of having basically the third team roster spots, you know, 10 or 11 through 15, um, instead of having them be young guys on the way up and projects, and there's a certain argument for that, but do you take half of those six spots or so, since they had a nine-man rotation, and put three of them into veterans, which is kind of what the Clippers did, and then when they had a lot of guys going down, they could you know, ham and egg it and plug somebody else in. Uh, do the Jazz have to look at these guys who've been developmental and say, uh, it's not working, we got to go in another direction and clear some room and some space there? And so I maybe mean, you three- do have room for this year's first-round pick because you've made decisions on these guys who've been on your roster for a year or two. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, there's three there's three sides here. So you go get the veterans. I think what the veterans also allow you to do is get navigate the regular season. Like, all you, Phoenix did this right. They have Langston Galloway and Etwan Moore and Frank Kaminsky and there's somebody else on the end of their bench, and those are all veterans. None of those are young developing players. They're all guys that have been released or basically let go by the team they had, and they were signed as minimum players. And so I think that helps you through a regular season. Now they turned out to be particularly healthy. Um, and we, you know, did it the other way where you're trying to find the young developing next Royce O'Neal, next Joe Ingles that you get on the cheap, and then you're able to um, get a few years out of them while you're while you're developing in Hughes and Juwan Morgan, et cetera. The one that's interesting, and so there's two different tiers on this. One is a regular season version, and verse one is a playoff version. And and then there's the third actually is probably a long term. So let's go with three. So regular season, like what Phoenix did, those guys can all play regular season. Etwan Frank Kaminsky, and they should be able to play playoffs. But what I do think is interesting is like Frank Frank Kaminsky is actually just not good enough to play in the series right now in the NBA Finals, right? So they have this veteran on the end of the bench, and yet they're just not willing to play him because he's just not good enough. Well, if you're not going to, if he's not going to do that, then why have a veteran, right? Like then I'd rather have a young kid. But if I have a veteran who maybe is on his last legs like a Marvin Williams or someone like that a few years ago. And I know that if we get into the playoff series and something goes wrong, I'm okay playing him. Then I like that. But I, I'm not sure I like the veteran who you have on the roster, but then when it gets to playoff time, you actually realize he's just not good enough to play. But I know the young kid's not like, that's the problem in this equation is I know that the chances of Elijah Hughes is a second round pick Juwan Morgan is undrafted free agent. You know, these guys at this point in their career, in their first and second year, are very unlikely to be able to contribute in a playoff series. Now, are they going to contribute as rotation players three, four, five years down the line? Maybe. They're not as likely to be on their cheap contract at that point, though. So that's it gets a little tricky. Are there guys out there who maybe fit in between? So there's somewhat of a veteran, but they're not uh, playing as much and can they be plucked out there? Does that does that player I exist? Think, I think what you're alluding to there is what's called the second draft. So guys get drafted by their first team and it doesn't work because it's a bad fit or whatever reason, and then you pick them up on the second draft. So that's like what people tried with Jabari Parker. Cam Reddish in Atlanta seems to be like a prime candidate for that at some point in time here. If he doesn't, you know, he had a good playoff little surge there, but he's otherwise just not been great so far. So it's the draft pick that does not have 
success in their initial spot. And then you as a team are trying to figure out, is that because of the fact that they, you know, Trey Burke, right, has actually had some success since he left Utah, but not great. But also when Trey Burke is picked up as the way Dallas picked him up and he gives you like four surges during the year, that's totally fine when he's your, you know, ninth pick of a draft and he, he's just playing, you know, giving you only four surges a year. It's not okay. Right. So the perception of the player changes, what you're asking out of the player, what you're paying the player, what their role on your team is, is different. And so sometimes players are more successful in their second draft. Yeah. Okay. And, and if they do re-sign Conley, then I think a, a guard like that could really help because a lot fell on Joe at the end of the year, and he was telling us how gassed he was bringing the ball up because Donovan was hurt too. And so do they have a veteran who doesn't have to play all the time, who knows their team in the league, who realizes their value and their spot on a roster? You know, That might be something they need to look at going forward. Right, and Joe is actually – well, the Jazz did a bunch of analytical research on Joe, and he showed no signs of aging, and then he backed – going into last year, and he backed that up. There are a few numbers in my book, and they're not nearly as researched as the jazz analytics that say there's beginning to be some signs, and that number's real on Joe, right? Like, like he's not, it doesn't, it, I'm not, I'm dyslexic, but I'm not reading 23 anymore, right? Like, um, so I think you have to be really careful on how you use Joe as well. Yeah. All and right, Joe David. And Joe just hasn't had that playoff impact that we would want which I think is important in roster building too. Like, you know, he just hasn't. Now there have been extenuating circumstances every year that, you know, there's a reason whether it was the bubble or just whatever other, you know, he was tired going into the end of this season or whatever those extenuating circumstances are. Um, But he just has not had the playoff impact for what is probably your fourth or fifth best player. And I think that is important when you build this roster as well. David, we have many more questions about the offseason, but we will save them for another week. Uh, Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you very much for letting me move around today. I appreciate it.